Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. My guest today struggled through one year of cancer with her darling daughter, Hannah, and is here today to share with you her story and how her experiences have transformed and changed her life. Today, I'm honored to introduce my guest, Maria Housden, a lecturer, author, and passionate advocate for quality of life at the end of life. Maria is the author of Hannah's Gift and Unraveled. Her books discuss the transformative lessons in living she received from her three-year-old daughter's struggle with cancer. Maria has led bereavement support groups and speaks nationally at conferences as well as church and civic organizations. From 1995 to 1999, Maria served on the board of directors of Kimberly Foundation, a nonprofit organization that raised money for families of children facing life-threatening illnesses. Well, Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gloria. I'm so happy to have you on today. Now, where are you calling? Where are we talking from? I'm calling from New Jersey, my little cottage in New Jersey. Oh, very nice. Could you tell our audience a little bit about um, your life and as what has uh, brought you to writing your books? And uh, we can chat about that a bit. Yes. Well, I think like most or certainly many uh, bereaved parents, uh, when my daughter Hannah died of cancer in 1994, I was um, filled with this, uh, you know, a, a, a tremendous uh, kind of aspect of my grief at that time was was the thought that um, Hannah had only lived for three years in this world, and the idea that um, that there were so many people who would never know, you know, what a beautiful, um, wise, and and uh, uh, extraordinary, you know, spirit she was just just filled me with this this sense of um, of an, of an eater, even greater loss. And so um, right from the very beginning, I, I had, you know, the idea that I wanted to write a book to share more of her story and, and my own. But, um, of course, in order to do that, um, well, certainly from my experience, uh, you know, I had to uh, really uh, allow myself to fully experience you know, my grief, especially in those early years. Um, now, when you were thinking about writing a book about Hannah, did you jot down things in a journal or something? Or Your book is so wonderful, and you're such a good writer. Um, did you um, journal to remember those stories, or did you just remember them later on? Well, while, while Hannah was sick, I did keep a journal, and it was, it was kind of funny. I imagine some parents will, certainly parents who had children with terminal illnesses may recognize themselves in this, too, where... If you go through my old journals, you can almost tell when we got bad news because I would, you know, I, I really used writing as a way of kind of integrating and processing what was happening, you know, to Hannah. And so when we would get uh, bad news about her diagnosis or relapses and things, I would I would find myself writing, you know, in the journal. And then we'd kind of fall into this space where things felt like they were going okay and, and maybe... Uh, maybe Hannah was going to be all right, and and I would write less and less. But but actually, when I sat down to write the book that became Hannah's Gift, um, I, initially I, I began writing um, about Hannah and her life about two years after her death. And at that time, I was using the journals as as a resource. But 
what I realized uh, very early on in the writing process was that I was still in a place where I was desperately trying to remember and record every little, little thing that happened, and I realized that while all of those details were important to me as a mother or important to our family in terms of remembering Hannah and what happened, um, those details weren't necessarily the, the kinds of things that needed to be included in, in a book that I really wanted to reach and touch, you know, hearts of people who hadn't necessarily lost a child. So. Mm-hmm. Now, d- really now, do you think that, um, uh, I know that many of our listeners, and uh, for myself too, this feeling that we're uh, afraid that we might forget. Kind oh, of absolutely. Im- and, and Yeah, and what, what I ended up doing then when I, when I, you know, discovered that, you know, this wasn't the kind of book I wanted to write was I essentially decided that I was going to trust that whatever memories uh, needed to be recalled or whatever needed to be shared in the book I wanted to write, that those memories would still be alive in me when I had the strength and, and the energy to, to actually write the book, and which is, in fact, what happened. When, when I ended up writing Hannah's Gift, I never did refer to those journals, and, and what I discovered in the process of writing the book was the way that all of us have memories that are alive in us mm-hmm. um, from, from all different times in our lives. And, and what I began to discover is that the memories that were still alive in me from Hannah's life and after her death were were still alive in me because they were still teaching me something. There was still oh, something what a lovely thought! Yeah, yeah, so, the teaching you, yeah, yeah, exactly. That we continue to grow, don't we? We continue to grow, and we always remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Could you tell us one of the favorite, certainly, memories in the book, uh, and the little red shoes are on the front page of the book about Hannah's shoes? Oh yes. Well, uh, the day before Hannah was diagnosed, um, we had gone shoe shopping for preschool. And um, I, of course, uh, on a limited budget and all, uh, was looking at the kind of practical uh, blue or black, you know, uh, patent leather Mary Janes. But Hannah uh, spotted this pair of bright red patent leather Mary Janes in the store. And she immediately picked them up and said, Mommy, these are my shoes. And I agonized for, for a few minutes in the store thinking, well, they're not going to match everything in her, you know, wardrobe. And, mm-hmm. and Hannah said to me, Mommy, red matches everything. And, and so I ended up buying the shoes, and, and she wore them out of the store. Um, and I remember as we crossed the parking lot thinking to myself, well, you know, if, if I decide wake up tomorrow morning and, and decide this is a frivolous purchase, I can always return them. And, of course, what ended up happening was the next morning I woke up and Hannah had blood in her urine, and it was that afternoon that we found out that she had a tumor in her abdomen. And Hannah wore those little red shoes every day for the rest of her life, that last year of her life. She even um, insisted when she had uh, surgery that she, she wouldn't wear the hospital gown because she didn't like the way it looked with her shoes. But... She did manage to convince the surgeons to allow her to wear her red shoes into the operating room. And once she was sedated, the nurses kind of quietly slipped them off and put them in a little bag and then put them back on when she was in recovery before she woke up. So those red shoes were really um, became a symbol, you know, for anyone that knew Hannah and um, of of her her spirit, her kind of unapologetic zest for life and. You know, her trust that, that you can surround yourself with the people and the things that you love and, and everything, you know, everything somehow works when you do that. Right. Well, it's amazing uh, about these little children, how they, uh, I worked in a hospital with uh, terminally ill children, and uh, they have such wisdom. 
Oh, yeah. There is such, um, there's something in the universe that gives these children an incredible amount of wisdom. Well, I had, I had the sense when Hannah was sick that, um, that there was a way that her, her youth, um, her wisdom really came from some exquisite combination of her youth and her innocence. She didn't have the kind of baggage, for example, that I had about death, you know, and, and, and how, um, uh, afraid we become of, of death as we grow older. She, um, you know, she, she had a kind of openness to life and what was happening and didn't have the same kinds of stories. She hadn't yet learned how to tell all of the stories we tell ourselves about, you know, if you get sick, you're, you've somehow erred or done something wrong or, you know, she, she just didn't come with the baggage that, that the rest of us came with when, when she was diagnosed. And, and I've always, um, felt just a profound sense of gratitude for the fact that that she was the way she was because she became a really for me um, an example of of what's possible for all of us uh, when we you know kind of uh, outgrow um, our our beliefs about you know what should and shouldn't happen to us as as we live our lives right um I wanted to ask you, uh, as I read your book, one of the things that you talked about was going to a doctor earlier, and the doctor said that there was nothing wrong with Hannah, maybe a month or two earlier or something. Yes, or, yes. And, uh, and I um, I know I uh, have a cousin whose daughter had Hodgkin's disease, and she always felt a certain amount of guilt that she didn't catch it earlier. Did you feel any of that guilt? Because I know some of our, our listeners have responded to that and talked about not feeling like they should have gotten to the kid to the doctor earlier should have known or something yeah i I definitely had to to look at that i mean um part part of what relieved me in some kind of you know that kind of strange bittersweet way is that from the moment Hannah was diagnosed we we were led to believe and, and understand that she had one of the you know bad cancers mm-hmm. so um you know the doctors had assured me that even if we had caught this you know, in its earliest stages that it was uh, it was so malignant that, you know, there was nothing that they could have done. And yet, even so, you know, that, um, that powerful experience of having taken Hannah to an emergency room, she was complaining that her stomach hurt, and to be told by the doctors there after they did a battery of tests, they, the one thing they hadn't done which would have, you know, uh, exposed the cancer was they hadn't done um, an X-ray of her abdomen, um, but they did do a chest thinking it may be pneumonia. It's a bad Wilms tumor. It was, the technical term was for it was rhabdoid tumor of the kidney. Uh, and that was in 1994, which would right. be, what, nine years? Is that right? Uh, it's been 11 years. 11. Oh, well. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know that you've talked a little bit and done some things about um, terminal illness and what people need and what you would suggest for children. Could you comment a little bit on that? Yes, well, of course, the landscape has changed somewhat since Hannah was diagnosed uh, 12 years ago, thankfully. Um, when Hannah was diagnosed, I was actually pregnant with our third child, Margaret, and and our older son, Will, who was five and a half at the time, was about to start kindergarten. It was so interesting to me that there were all of these resources available, even at the library, you know, shelves of books about how to, you know, preparing to become a big sister, preparing for the first day of school, you know, videos, um uh, you know, there were programs in the community and in the hospital to, you know, big brother, big sister programs. And, and, and yet for, you know, the most important transition that a child has to make, the transition from life to death, I found almost no resources. And it was incredibly 
frustrating, but it also, I think, um, allowed me to kind of trust my instincts and kind of, you know, wing it with, um, with my instinct as a mother and, and to give Hannah, you know, what I, what I thought she needed at the time. I mean, I, at this, at this stage in time in my life and my work, I think one of the most important, um, things that we can do as parents or as loved ones of someone who is dying or, or has a child who is dying is, is to be willing to show up with ourselves or with that other person with a with a sense of um, kind of honesty and openness. Yeah, I was going to say honesty because yep. in, in your book, Hannah's Gift, there is so much honesty and your family yeah. really talked about things when Will would ask you questions and yep. and he was, what, age five? Is that he right? Was, he was uh, five and a half to six. Yeah, and, and the kind there. of questions he was asking, you know, yeah. where, Hannah, where do you and die and will she die and, you know, that kind of thing and this absolutely. isn't good. And, and, and I was too. Yeah, I was uh, yeah, I was very interested in Will because you know people are so worried about being, and I know you were concerned about being with Hannah when she actually died. Yeah. And Will, it was so sweet. He said, "Mommy, I'm going to go now and come and get me when she dies." Yes, yes. He didn't want to be in the room touching. when she died. Yeah. He waited downstairs, and and when we called him back up after you know just seconds after Hannah passed, um, it was so beautiful. He walked into the room where where Hannah's now body was and he looked up at the ceiling and he said hi Hannah he said I'm so glad you're not sick anymore and um, I just I felt that you know my willingness to be honest with my kids of course age appropriately as age appropriately as possible Mm -hmm. about what was happening really allowed them to be honest with me about what they needed and what they were feeling and what they were afraid of Um, and again you know I think this is one of the things that we can remember not only in when we're with someone who is dying, but also when we're with our own grief, is that uh, there is a way that uh, our willingness to not have all the answers, you know, to, to, like, for example, when Hannah and Will asked me, you know, what happens when, when you die? You know, I had to say, you know, I really don't know what happens, but here are some different things that different people believe. And, and by the way, this is not easy, right? No, it's not easy, but, you know, this is where I think we we truly show up as parents. I mean, we all have experiences as parents, not necessarily as traumatic as, as the death of a child, but uh, we have experiences as parents where our children are looking to us. They're trusting us to be the ones to tell them what's happening. And if we're not willing to go there with them, then who will? Right, exactly. Um, for me, the thought of Hannah going to her death or Will, you know, experiencing his sister's death without, um, you know, me as a resource, as a, as a sounding board, as a, you know, as a source of ideas and, and comfort, um, it just, it was unbearable to me. So It was also very interesting to me that you were willing to ask your doctors to stay with you. Mm. You didn't let them off the hook. I couldn't. I couldn't because... You know, they had their own expertise, and um, and I really, really needed everyone who was with Hannah in her life at that time to be willing to be where she was with it because, you know, fascinate, it was fascinating that Hannah was not afraid to die. From the very beginning, she was not afraid to die. She was very open to talking about it and um, asking questions about it and so it was important to me that all of the people in her life were there to support that, you know, in her. And and if, if her doctors weren't willing to acknowledge and support her in her dying, then, you know, 
than who would. And, and why are they there doing that? Yeah. I, I know it's difficult for some doctors, particularly it's interesting cancer specialists sometimes, because they are there to cure people, not to be with them when they die. So it can be difficult. It, it um, is difficult. One of the things I also wanted to talk to you was uh, my son. Uh, my son died in a sudden accident, yeah. and Hannah, um, you you know, she progressed, got progressively worse. Right. And one of the things that um, you said in the book was that it may be a little easier. And I'm wondering over time what your thought is. I'm thinking maybe at the moment because you know you someone who calls you up and tells you your son's dead or your daughter. Mm-hmm. It's such a shock. Yeah. But I'm wondering, after two years, three years, does it really make it any less difficult? Well, I, I think what I found is um, two things, really. First of all, there's no good way to, or time to lose someone you love. I mean, so there's there's no good way. It's all painful, and, and they come with different sets of difficulties and challenges and, and you know, um, blessings, really. Um, I think now... Um, I think it's funny how when you talk to another parent who's lost a child and you hear their story, I think every parent walks away from a conversation like that going, whew, at least it wasn't like that for us. (laughs) There's some aspect of everyone's story that you think, oh, my God, now that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And um, in in our case, I mean, I really appreciated that uh, we knew that Hannah was dying so that I could prepare her and us for that as best as I was able. And, you know, I had, I did have a sense of clarity around what was happening that I don't know that I would have had otherwise. At the same time, you know, we had to endure the experience of watching Hannah suffer. And, um, and there, there's something, uh, incredibly that feels so unfair, you know, to me as a parent, you know, that my child had to, um, soldier on through such devastating, um, you know, pain and and all of the treatments and everything that, you know, of course she wouldn't have had to do if she had been killed suddenly in an accident or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, Harriet Schiff was on our show, and uh, she wrote The, the uh, Bereaved Parent, and she made the comment her son um, had a, a long-term illness, and she made the comment that it is so hard on your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is. And, and the siblings, I think, most of all, really suffer. You know, the siblings end up parenting the parents. They end up, you know, being left kind of without um, without uh, ground and support and the experience because as a parent, and I, and I think this is true for us as parents when we're grieving too, is that we simply don't have the energy and the attention to show up the same way that we might like Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And Harriet, I think her son was ill for many, many years, so it was... It was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I wanted to ask you, do you have any special, we're coming around the Christmas season, do you have any thoughts for parents or any special rituals or anything that you do? Well, the the first thing I would say is to give yourself permission to do whatever feels best and right and to not make decisions, you know, based on what you've done before or what other people think you should or shouldn't be doing. Um, The first, Hannah died in uh, August, and that first, uh, Christmas, I remember, uh, of course, we had Will, and, and who was six and a half, and then we had Margaret, who was an infant, and, I, and some part of me felt, you know, we had to do something for Christmas, but it really wasn't until um, Christmas Eve that I decided, you know what, we will get a, a Christmas tree, and we're going to put angels on it, and, and, and one of the things that I, I, well, I love about grief, actually, is the way that it peels away all the things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're grieving... 
you know what matters to you because those are the things that you do. And I really have found that I have remade all of my holiday celebrations. Um, I, I do so many things in my life differently. I, for example, I don't run for the phone every time it rings. I learned when I was grieving that I could let things go. I think it's. I think permission is one of the most important things for us when when we're in grief to to realize that you know we can trust uh, we can trust what we love and that we will find the energy and time that we do find the energy and time to do the things that matter to us and and I think that you mentioned too before the break um, the importance of ritual and I think ritual is an important part of the holidays. I know that. That for us, um, I, I've found that over the years, you know, what we've done has has shifted and changed, kind of dependent on, you know, just as our family has changed and our, our needs in our family have changed. But, you know, there's always um, the beauty of, you know, lighting a candle or having, you know, a place setting at the table for the one who is is loved and 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 gone and. Um, or a special ornament. Or a special ornament. I every year I buy a. Uh, we still have a stocking for Hannah, and every year Santa brings an another angel ornament for the tree, you know, in, in memory of Hannah. And I think, you know, there's there's a kind of sweetness um, in in continuing to include, you know, the reality of that loved one's presence in our lives. Absolutely. Well, Maria, I wanted to uh, ask you, um, I, you wrote your book, Hannah's Gift, and then you went on to write another book uh, called Unraveled, and I believe it's just uh, out, what, in May of this year? That's right. That's right. It was published in May of this year. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? I, I, I haven't been able to pick up that book yet, but uh, it seems like it's, I've read a little bit of the promo for it. sounds like uh, it's moving on from your journey from uh, after Hannah's death and then moving on. Is that what... Yes, yes, it is, and um, I've been very fortunate. It's really uh, received some interesting publicity and has has generated um, some some fascinating conversations in the culture about you know what makes a good wife and a good woman and a good mother. And one of the reasons that that the book in my story you know engenders that conversation is because uh, one of the things that was true for me after Hannah's death is is I felt when I began to kind of emerge you know, back into the world uh, from the kind of sludge of the, those early years of grief that... Um, How many that years I, would you think those sludging years were, oh the early God. years? Well, I mean, I think I would say I still have my moments, but, you know, they manifest in, in kind of different ways. But certainly the first uh, three to five years, I think, mm-hmm. I, was, I was pretty... You know, grief was kind of my primary experience. I mean, mm-hmm. everything that happened for me kind of filtered through grief. Um, and and so, you know, but, but as I began to kind of wake up in my life and realize, okay, I'm still alive, I'm still breathing, and, you know, what is it that I'm going to do with my life to, 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 to give myself a sense of meaning in my life? You know, what is worth living for from this point on? And, and because of, you know, because of those kinds of questions that I think all of us are forced to, to face, you know, in the, in the wake of a child's death, I found that I, I was willing to live my life much more courageously, much more fearlessly, and with much less concern about what other people thought about me or the decisions that, you know, that I was going to make. So Absolutely. We have a lot of uh, our guests talk about that. The, oh, the, yeah. Uh, the worst has happened, and now, you know, yeah, I don't like, think I'd be doing an Internet radio show. <laughs> oh, no way. I mean, I I always dreamed of writing a book, but I don't think I would have, you know, first of all, Nothing could have been more compelling than the story I can tell now. 
Um, second of all, you know, I think that, um, I mean, certainly when Hannah died, I thought, well, I'm no longer afraid to die. Whatever happens, even if nothing happens, Hannah has already done it. So, um, you know, that kind of unapologetic way of living into my life uh, really began to show up, you know, in, 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 I'd say, you know, three to five years after Hannah's death, I started making some decisions in my life to, to make some pretty significant changes. I, I divorced my husband, who was Hannah's father, um, which was very painful, um, very difficult. I mean, to, to let go of, of the one person in the world who has the potential to understand, you know, why you're going to be the way you are every birthday and anniversary um, that you know passes every year to to let go of that connection to Hannah was was an incredibly difficult um, thing for me to do and yet you know I also understood that that there were things that I needed to do in my life now um, for example writing you know mm-hmm. Hannah's gift um, and in order to to be who I felt I was capable of being I had to to constellate a different environment for my life you know I had to, I had to re Kind of reimagine my life from a completely new perspective, and and unraveled is really that story. It's um, you, you don't have to have read Hannah's gift to be able to you know track it and follow it. In fact, Hannah's death is as much a part of unraveled as it is Hannah's gift because you know that was that was the pivot point in my in my own experience. Mm-hmm. Hannah's death was the reason I turned around and looked in a new direction. Right. Well, I noticed Annie Lamont endorsed your book. She is oh, so yeah. fabulous. <laughs> I love Annie. I, I just love. I love the way that she's willing to not, you know, to not have a clue about so many things. You know? I don't know if, if our audience has read any of her books, but if you're going to have a baby, you should read Operating Instructions. Without a and doubt. if you decide you want to be a writer, you should read Bird by Bird. Oh yes, that's true. It's true. <laughs> They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful books. Yeah. Um, now. Can you tell us a little bit about how your life has changed and, uh, since Hannah's death in terms of how you feel and, and what you would recommend to other people? Well, I, I, I absolutely believe that, um, that the death of a child is, is, has, there's a potential in grief um, in the wake of a child's death that, um, that we can live into our lives you know, differently with, with more attention and intention. Um, I, 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 I was so viscerally aware of, of the old adage that life is short, you know. Um, and and so, so for me, um, you know, really having a kind of um, a fierceness about, um, about the way I lived my life, the way that I was in relationship, um, you know the kind of honesty I think that that we can um, that we can live uh, into uh, in in our relationships in our work and 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 with ourselves is is without a doubt I think one of the the most incredible kind of transformational forces that that we can know in a life we 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 suddenly have uh, when we lose a child we suddenly have a, a sober and and honest uh, perspective on our lives that that, you know, we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of energy. We can't, we can't always assume that we're going to die, you know, live, live into a long life and die a peaceful death in, in old age when, when we've had enough. Um, you know, I, I think that we, everything that we do from 
the the moment you know we get news that our our child has died, everything from that moment on um, is colored um, by this perspective that that we now have. Yeah, that was then, and and this is now. Yeah. Well, what would you say? Um, you know, uh, one of the things that comes up for me when you talk about uh, divorcing your husband to move on. I have been married for forty five years. Oh, and, congratulations! And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it, it, going through a loss is a rough thing, and uh, we were able to make it and do it together. So I just want to say to our audience, it's not inevitable because some people do feel there's some inevitability about um, getting divorced after. Yeah, uh, traumatic event. Yeah, and I think that really contributes to people's sense of instability. You know, the the possibility when when people think that oh God, you know, every couple that loses a child ends up you know splitting up in the end. I, I what I've said to people in response to that is is I felt that um, Hannah's diagnosis and death kind of exaggerated or or called to the fore. You know, all of the things that we were already doing really well in relationship, those things we did a thousand times better. But anything that was already a difficulty in relationship just seemed to be that much worse. And and again, you know, I think that the um, the willingness and the ability to to really look honestly at who we are and what we need and, and what we want for the other. I mean I I Still love my first husband, uh, Hannah's father, as as much as I ever have. It was our divorce was was as much a kind of um, a kind of shared acceptance that we were both very different people to what we had been when we married. I was twenty when we married, and and we both loved our children, and yet we both uh, needed um, to you know to constellate a, a different life. Um, in order to do the kinds of things that, that we that we wanted to do, um, in part, you know, because we we now knew um, more of who we were because of grief. You know, yeah. We well, with a fifty to, uh, percent divorce rate, you can probably, you know, maybe even without Hannah's death, oh, sure. you may have moved on in, in oh, other sure. directions. So oh, without a doubt. I know uh, a compassionate friends. We did a study of um, uh, divorce, and there was only like twelve percent of people who got divorced after the death of a child. And I know Harriet Schiff, we've talked about it, put like 70% in her book, yeah. and people have got the mistaken idea that, you know, it's like a direct result, you know, you die, right. you divorce, right. you know. Right, right. And right. Uh, we don't want to well, scare people is, into thinking that. this is what's awesome about grief. Grief te- can teach us that we don't have to do anything because anyone else did it. You know, mm-hmm. we get to do what we feel is best and right for us and our family. And and I think that if you know, if we live into that, if we live into the possibility that we can make uh, more honest, more uh, informed, and more compassionate decisions about how we want to live our life, then whatever happens as a result of that is part of you know part of the rightness of our life and part of the the gift of of our grief. Yeah, what what are you doing now? Well, I'm just about to launch an ambitious global initiative called Grief in Action. And it really, the seed of it was was planted in my heart when when Hannah died, and and you know, in the wake of of, of my grief um, after her death, I I know from my own experience that there is a potential in grief when when we are willing um, to fully allow the extent and the kind of immensity of that experience to become a part of who we are, that it, it can become a motivating force in our lives. It can become um, 
the, uh, you know, the same way that we were speaking earlier about what we learn about ourselves and what matters when, when we're in grief. You know, those are the things that we do. Well, I, I want to create um, a series of retreats, free grief retreats for those who are bereaved to come and be in a safe environment, which is not about talking about everyone else's story. It's a, there's a lot of silence, and we use poetry and writing, and it, it's a very contemplative kind of reflective environment for people to be in. Because, you know, as as all of us who are who are grieving know, this culture doesn't afford us uh, the kind of space that that we need in our lives and and in the culture to to be with some of the more um, painful and some of the more uh, introspective aspects of the grief experience. So, Especially as life goes on, too, uh, after exactly. a few years, oh, when yeah. sometimes we're really ready to start you yes. know, dealing with it after three or oh, four sure. years. It's and like, then where do we go? Yeah, exactly. I really felt like just as soon as I was ready to start talking about what happened and start you know, having conversations and really integrating it into my life, everyone else in my life had already moved on. And so um, I'm, I'm really creating the, the context that I longed to have when I, when I was in grief. And, and I'm also interested in bringing grief in action. We'll be bringing uh, grief work and, and the awareness of the way that grief shows up to all kinds of other contexts, too. So I'm partnering with some projects in South Africa and India to work with women and children with AIDS there and the people that are caring for them and to become part of the peace and reconciliation process in Northern Ireland and and ultimately to bring together in a kind of UN of grief um, a circle of women who've lost children to both sides of conflicts in the world to show the way that that when we lose a child, we understand something about the sanctity of life that allows us to, like, meet beyond, you know, creed and religion and, and the kind of culture that we grew up in. And, and we join together and meet in our shared suffering as mothers and say, not one more child. I like that idea, the UN agrees. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, very good. Um, I hope that Compassionate Friends in some way might uh, be able to assist you in that. It sounds like a, a wonderful project. Thank How would you. our listeners get a hold of you if they wanted to be involved in it? Well, I would love to hear from anyone who either has, you know, um, a wish to either volunteer or be a part of, you know, the work of it, or certainly, and most importantly at this point, anyone who knows someone or is themselves someone who might be able to fund some of these projects. And the way to reach me is, um, I have an email address. It's Hannah's Gift, H-A-N-N-A-H-S-G-I-F-T, at Juno, J-U-N-O dot com. And I also have a website, which is hannahsgift.com, and, and you can reach me through the website as well. That's great. Now, do you, uh, as our show ends today, do you have any um, any special tips or advice, or is there anything that you haven't said that you want to say that comes up for you? Well, I, I just feel that the most important message that we can give those who are in grief is to really trust yourself and to trust the process that you're in and to know that there are times for things. You know, I think that this culture really encourages us to kind of, you know, wake up and get over it um, uh, in a way that, you know, just simply doesn't support what grief, you know, really needs from us. And and so our own And also the lessons, as you said, the lessons it has to teach us. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, we, we have to be willing to be with it, to be quiet with it, and to trust you know ourselves in the process of it, and and do what feels best and right at that time, and and not be concerned about what other people will think about that. 
And as things, as you move away from it and get a little further from your grief, um, I think one of, one of the things I'm picking up from you, Maria, and one of the things I feel is it becomes somewhat interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. there are so many things to learn from it if you listen. Yeah. I think it, I, what, what I feel about grief, um, in terms of my experiences is I don't know that I've moved any further from my grief, but I think that my grief has become more a part of who I am. I think my life now is about integrating the things that I know, the things that I believe, the things that that I understand now about myself into into my life. That you know, my life has become um, an expression of who I am and what I have learned from my experience. All right. Well, Maria, I want to thank you so much for having Maria Houston on the show. It's just been absolutely fabulous. I love your books. Book. I'm going to get the second one. <laughs> Hannah's Gift and Unraveled, and you can get a hold of Maria at maria at hannahsgift.com. And if you just Google Hannah's Gift, you'll be also able to get a hold of her. And thank you so much for being on the show. You're a great writer and a great woman. Well, it takes one to know one, Gloria. (laughs) You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.